Something the Lord Made is a 2004 film that tells the story of the pioneers of modern heart surgery. Dr. Alfred Blaylock, the so-called Blue Baby Doctor, and Vivian Thomas, an African-American without formal medical training, yet was, in some areas, more skilled in doing this, this history-changing surgery himself. These men were part of a miracle of recreation that brought hope to hopeless children who were born with birth defects, a heart defect. Something the Lord made is, I think, in many ways, a description of God's creation and his recreation of humanity. What Alfred Blaylock and Vivian Thomas did for one baby's physical body, restoring life through surgery, God has made possible for every person, and indeed all humanity, through spiritual surgery. Perhaps you will remember last week we talked about God's plan, or what I call BHAG, Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. God created the first man, and Adam's birth was also the birth of mankind, of humanity. And God said it was very good. Think of it. We are God's BHAG, created in his image or as God's image, to rule over God's creation with him, to resemble God as his likeness, and to relate to God and other people in community. We're created in the image of God, who was one, yet in community, what we call three in one, the Trinity, with the deepest, most intimate love. And it was that overflowing love that caused God to create man, and that has been passed on to us. We saw how the psalmist in Psalm 8 reflecting on God's creation of man, marveled that the majestic God who created the heavens and everything under them also gave to mankind such dignity and grace. When we gaze into the heavens, we do well to ponder our place. And that is that although we are weak and small, God has crowned us with glory and honor. We also saw how mankind, both Adam and Eve, turned their love away from God and inward toward themselves when they were tempted to sin in Genesis chapter 3. Love turned inward and away from God damaged and distorted God's image, but did not destroy it like a beautiful masterpiece created by the divine artist. Adam and Eve chose their way above God's way, and the result was spiritual and later physical death, but much more. Rather than living in community, humanity spiraled into disunity and chaos, alienation. In biblical terms, mankind went east. We read that at Babel in Genesis 11, the devastating effects of sin 
were visible as men came together to build a, a, a tower that would reach the heavens. And so God confuses their language and the Babylonites become babblers who could not understand each other. The diversity of cultures and ethnicities, a wonderful, beautiful thing as people share life together, gave way to division, hatred, prejudice, segregation, and war between the sons of Adam. Alienated from God, people also became alienated from one another. Was God's BHAG finished? Was his plan ultimately thwarted? Today, we look at the answer to that question from the New Testament. God has been moving and is still in the process of creating a new man, a new humanity that will restore unity and diversity, a unity and in diversity that reflects God's very nature. He's tearing down barriers that divide people. And this one new man is the multicultural church that will not be stopped. Our text starts with the stark reality of what sin has brought, our alienation from God and from one another. And it ends with a picture of the church being the temple that is becoming the very dwelling place in which God lives. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. We're reading from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I want us to notice in this passage of scripture, first of all, there is a mystery that Paul speaks of that is unfolding. The book of Ephesians is a book about the church. Its theme is unity in the church. Ephesians has been called a blueprint for the church. Paul, the apostle, had spent 30 years working to bring together two conflicting elements in the church. Now he writes from a prison in Rome. Why? For preaching that both Jews and Gentiles must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his message everywhere he went. In the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul begins with a hymn praising the triune God, the three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for bringing us back to himself. He says in chapter 1, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 13 in the hymn, he speaks of the promised Holy Spirit. And throughout the hymn, he speaks of Christ. In fact, the phrase, in Christ, for Paul is nothing less than a description of what a follower of Jesus is. In verse 7, for example, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And Paul called his teachings about the church a mystery, not because they were suspenseful, suspenseful and hard to figure out, but rather because it was known, it was not known what God's purpose was until the time Paul wrote. Why was this mystery or what was this mystery? Well, look in verse 9 of chapter 1, and Paul says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And here it is, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul tells us that God is working to bring together what sin has divided. Some years ago, I was speaking one of our IBC churches in Sella, Germany, and uh, the pastor there, uh, Bob Nat, was there and introduced me to one of his church members from Iraq. Now, I had known Bob for a while, and I knew that Bob had fought as an American soldier in the first Iraqi war the first desert storm. I later found out that this man had fought in the same war, but on the other side. Although they had been enemies, they were now brothers in Christ, serving together in love. I'm convinced that the multicultural church, a church like yours, is vital to God's mystery and his big, hairy, audacious goal. 
Paul then prays for the church in Ephesus, and he prays that God would give the church the ability to know God better and to know the hope that he brings to the church. So this unity in diversity as a church is God's mystery. But not only does God have a plan to restore us back to himself, but there's also a plan to restore a world that is alienated from God. In chapter two, Paul explains that we are alienated first from God. Just as Adam and Eve felt alienated when they sinned and tried to hide from God, so we try to hide from our creator. Paul begins by describing the terrible state of humanity in his day, especially in its relationship to God. In summary, he says they were alienated. They were separated from God. And the tragic results of separation from God are sin, death, and wrath. And then in verse 4, Paul says, but then... You see, because of God's great love for us, God made us alive, and he has brought us back to himself through Christ. He made spiritually dead people alive again. God, in his love, has recreated humanity in Christ. Now, we come to know that personally. When we embrace that love, God's amazing grace, and we place our trust in Christ as Savior, we become part of God's global, multicultural, new humanity, united in Christ. God's plan is to restore a world alienated from God, but also it is a plan to restore humanity alienated from itself. Beginning in verse 11, Paul explains how we were not only alienated from God, but we were also alienated from one another. In Paul's day, the prime example of alienation was Jews and Gentiles. It was in every way, us versus them. Not unlike our world today. Walls everywhere divided them, separated them. Last week, we saw how the Bible opens with a clear message of the unity of mankind. But after the fall and the flood during Noah's day, it traces the origins of human division and separation. It might seem that God himself contributed to this division by choosing one man, Abraham, and one nation, the Jewish nation. But Genesis 12 tells us that when God called Abraham, he promised that through his descendants, he would bless all families of the earth. And he intended that Israel would be a light to the nations. The tragedy is that Israel forgot her calling. She twisted her privilege into favoritism and ended by despising the heathen, the Gentiles, as dogs. Paul says here that the Gentiles, who made up most of the church of Ephesus, were alienated from 
the Jews. Paul, a Jew by birth, recognizes this division among Jews and Gentiles. In verse 11, the Jews call the Gentiles uncircumcised, and the Gentiles call the Jews the circumcision. Paul then describes the Gentiles as being separate, separated from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. So they were alienated from God and from his people, Israel. In verse 13, he summarizes the condition of the Gentiles without Christ. They were, in Paul's words, far away. We live in a world full of walls, barriers, and boundaries. We too live in a world of us versus them. Racial, national, religious, political divisions. It was true then, and it's true now. The magnificent temple that was built, or rather expanded in Jerusalem by Herod the Great, and standing in Jesus' day and Paul's day, was constructed on an elevated platform. And around this, the, the sacred temple precinct was the court of the priests. East of this court was the court of Israel, and further east was the court of women, each separated from the next. And these three courts, one for the priests, one for the lay men, and one for the lay women of Israel, respectively, were all on the same elevation as the temple itself. From this level, you went down five steps to a walled platform. And then on the other side of the wall, 14 more steps to another wall, beyond which was the outer court or the court of the Gentiles. This court circled the temple and its inner court. From any part of it, the Gentiles were able to look up and view the temple, but were not allowed to approach it. They were cut off from the surrounding wall, which was a one and a half meter stone barricade, on which were notices printed in Greek and Latin that promised death to foreigners or to Gentiles who tried to enter the sanctuary. These walls were only symbols of so many other walls built between Jew and Gentile. Can you feel the alienation, the separation that a Gentile who wanted to worship would have felt toward God and the enmity and hatred he would have felt toward privileged Jewish worshipers, the ethnic, religious, and social walls that divided were thick and mean. They were barriers. They were boundaries. Now notice in verse 4 and again in verse 13 the word but. But God. But now in Christ. Christ abolishes walls. He destroys barriers. 
and he tears down boundaries. Because of Christ, the alienation of all people from God and from each other can end. The walls that divide and bring hostility to people, cultural, racial, religious, national, all boundaries and barriers have been destroyed. How did God do it? In Christ, who Paul says in verse 14 is our peace. What the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was unable to achieve, Pax Christi, the, the peace of Christ, has achieved. Not through military might, but through the sacrifice of himself, Christ made peace. He brought people who were at war with God and with each other together. The theological word found in verse 16 is the word reconciled. Alienation gives way to reconciliation and hostility gives way to peace. And this brings us to the BHAG, the big purpose. Paul says in verse 15 that God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, or some translations read one new man. The word is anthropos, which can mean, just like the Hebrew word Adam, either man as a male or humanity in general. In the context, it's clear that Paul is speaking about humanity. Remember the creation of the first man and woman made in the image of God as his likeness? Here Paul says that God has recreated a new humanity out of the two, making peace, reconciling them, ending the hostility. Christ then, after his resurrection, and through the apostles and early church, preached peace to both Jews, that would be those near, and Gentiles, those far away. Some years ago, I was in Beirut, Lebanon, and I met a young Palestinian man named Samer, Samer Muhammad. Samer had grown up in a Palestinian uh, refugee camp. He told me that he had grown up to hate two groups of people. Jews and Americans. But then, in a wonderful way, Samer came to hear the gospel and responded to Christ. And he told me, now I love the Jewish people and I love Americans. You see, God changed his heart toward, from hostility and separation and alienation to one of reconciliation and love and grace. Paul will go on to describe the Ephesian church as being citizens in the kingdom that God rules in verse 19, as children in the family God loves, verse 19 also, and being stones in the temple God is building, in verses 20 to 22. Each of those an example of God bringing different parts together to form a unity. Let me 
summarize and apply these things that we've we've seen this morning in our own hearts. First of all, I want to challenge you and all of us embrace God's vision for the future. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day, his kingdom will come in its fullness. And it should be our prayer that the realities of heaven would become realities on earth. Is it possible that we, when, gra when grasping God's plan and vision for us for the future, we can also see how he wants us to display the power and the beauty of the gospel here on earth to those who are separated from God and who desperately need it? The church should be a picture of diversity in unity. Can we embrace that? Can we recognize that the walls built up between us are sinful and man-made and that Christ has torn down barriers of prejudice and pride and separation and individualism and consumerism and status quo and bias and marketplace mentality? God is calling us to embrace his vision of the future because in Christ, these things have been broken down. Secondly, I would challenge you to make together in Christ the theme of your life and your church. Can we embrace diversity as the gift from God? We're not all the same. We don't all dress alike, look alike, act alike, think alike. That is a gift from God. Diversity is a gift. But in that diversity, can we also come together in love for Christ and for one another? Not excluding, but including. Not tolerating each other in spite of our differences but celebrating our diversity. A.W. Tozer once wrote, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So, 100 worshipers meet together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. I'm well aware of the challenges that come along with the blessings of a multicultural church locally. One lady told me that worshiping in an international church was a foretaste of heaven. And that may be true, but I also know that as the poem says, to live above with saints I love, 
that will be glory. But to live below with the saints I know, well, that's another story. It takes hard work to live out the vision that God has for us. We will not do it perfectly, but we dare not give up because God is not giving up. We have a message for the rest of the world if we will believe it and live it. It is possible for us to remove those barriers that divide us because Christ has broken them down by his death on the cross. I challenge you as a church, celebrate your diversity while embracing the unity that is in Christ. He has done the hard work to rid us of racism and nationalism, tribalism, personal animosities that are brought on by pride and prejudice and jealousy or class. We must start by doing the necessary work of soul searching to rid ourselves of the walls that have been built up. Don't allow those barriers to divide you. We cannot, with integrity, proclaim a gospel of reconciliation if we ourselves are not acting to remove the hindrances to reconciliation. If you can make a new start this very day, embrace the gospel of God's love for you and worship the one who created you, who redeemed you, and who gave you new life. Repent of your own contribution to barrier building. And then very practically, choose to love the person next to you. Choose to love the person that is hardest for you to love. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful thing you have done. You who created us to be one with you and in unity with our fellow uh, mankind. Lord, you have dealt with our sin by sending your son who by his blood made peace. First of all, peace with you, but then also paved the way for peace with one another. And Lord, you desire that your family, your church, would live out the consequences of what you have done. That we would live as brothers and sisters in Christ. As different as we are, we would be united in Christ. I pray that would be true of Calvary International Church. Lord, I pray for any who are at war with you right now, who feel that separation and alienation, that they would come to you. And I pray that you would stir our hearts to look deep inside and deal with any prejudice or hostility or hatred that we may feel for other people because they're different from us. And Lord, your oneness, your unity in Christ, would remove that division that we feel. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.